Brian contacted me and said, hey, we really want you guys to be a part of this album we're going to record top of a mountain and it's going to be amazing. So we emailed over a couple songs and as soon as Brian heard No Longer Slaves, he texted me back. He said, this is the one. And he said, I already have an idea for the bridge. As soon as I heard the melody, I saw the picture of the Israelites going through the Red Sea. And it was the moment that they left their slavery and they became the children of God. And they saw the massive love of their father that would part a Red Sea for them and bring them into his promised land. I just heard the lyrics, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. All my fears are drowned in perfect love. The next morning when I woke up, I was like, how, how can we get Melissa into this song? Because it was something that I was just singing. And the bridge was way too high for me to sing. I was like, this would be perfect if Melissa sings it. It's actually maybe one of the first songs that I've been in, invited into in that capacity to like, that I didn't write it. So many of my songs are such so deeply connected to my journey with the Lord. And so if I'm completely honest, I was like, oh, this will be interesting. Like I found myself like, I don't, I don't know if I'm fully engaged in it yet, you know? And, and I had a beautiful moment of really just getting on my face before the Lord because I just kept hitting that wall. I'm like, what is this wall? I can never hit this wall, you know? And the Lord's like, I, I'm not gonna let you sing something you don't believe. And I just sat there for like probably an hour and just sang the bridge over and over and over and over. And I just wept and I cried and I'm like, okay, this is actually my story. Like this is, this is, is my testimony of the Father reaching in and, and opening up seasons of, of suffering and sorrow and and just meeting me and drowning my fear. What we landed with, you know, was me kind of coming out of my own skin and, and giving the Father in that moment every, everything that I had. Even when I watch the video now, I'm like, I don't know that I've ever sang like that. And that's a good feeling. It's a good feeling to, to watch and be like, okay, like I fully believe what I was singing. When we sang it for the recording, even when we've sung it since, mm -hmm. I realized that this song is our life message and this song is our testimony. Yeah. And it's also what we want to declare over a generation, that you're no longer slaves, but you're sons and daughters of a father. Thought the church has to see this, to know where that song was birthed from and how it can minister to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17 says this. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him or we cry out, Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children... We are heirs of God's glory, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Can we bow our heads? Father, I believe that just as you created in the very beginning, you're still creating out of nothingness and emptiness and out of chaos right now. I believe just as you parted a sea thousands of years ago to lead your people into freedom that you're still parting seas today. I believe that the same steadfast love that fell from you upon your people that we read about 
way back in the Old Testament is still fully available, and even through Jesus, even more available than it was for your people back then. I still believe that the same power that was able to lift Jesus out of a grave is upon us, so God, may you speak a word in this place this morning. God, may I be forgettable so that you can be unforgettable today. And just dispense a word, because we know when a word leaves your mouth, is that it does not return to your void. It doesn't return to your void. It fulfills the purpose for why it was sent. So speak words of affirmation, words of conviction. Just have your way with us today. And through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, may uh, people be formed into the image of Jesus today through the words of my preaching. And the church said, Amen. Um, so I'm hinging this whole series in Romans 8. If I had to choose one verse in all of Romans 8 to hinge this whole thing on is Romans 8, 11, that the Spirit of God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, and just as he rose Christ from the dead, he's going to bring your mortal body to life. He's going to speak and breathe life into your body so, so that you can be reminded for eternity that the Spirit of God lives in you. There has been this transfer of status that has happened for the people of God where your status has been transferred. It's you're no longer a slave to fear or a slave to the law or a slave to workspace righteousness where you're trying to earn your salvation. You're not a slave to those kind of things. Now you are a child of God. Uh, so the Spirit is at work in your life to remind you of that status. But here's what's so important when it comes to us understanding our identity and our status with God is because Jesus doesn't mesh identities. Okay, so today, the three verses I want to unpack for you is about the Spirit of God working in your life and in the life of the church to remind us of our identity and our status, that we are children of God. And what I mean by that Jesus doesn't mesh identities is that Jesus doesn't look at you in your bondage and say, okay, hey, here's the label on you, and now let's just add the label of child of God onto the labels that you wear. It's that you need to say yes to being a child of God, and in saying yes to being a child of God, you also have to say no to all the other things that try to hold you down in life. So before you know who you are and what, you, what God has prepared you to be and who God is making you to be, you also got to know who God doesn't want you to be anymore. So you are no longer slaves to fear. Now, the fear that Paul is referring to, it's more than just being fearful of what's happening in culture and in society, though that was probably part of it. It was also this being held in bondage by the law and doctrine that was being forced upon people as uh, salvation issues. So it's this freedom from anything that holds you in bondage that you are not fearful slaves anymore. Now, we interpret this through a lot of cultural events and things going on in our world that just make us want to creep into a shell. Because I can read to you over and over again that, hey, you are not a slave to fear anymore, yet it sure is easy to become one, right? Uh, when you have events like Charlottesville and the shooting in the church in Nashville a couple of weeks ago in Las Vegas, and the list goes on. Evil has been prevalent for years, but it's more documented now. It's on film for us to see and to, to hear about constantly as we scroll through Facebook and Twitter. And with all these things happening, it's easy for us to like creep into a shell and to, and to be struck by this paralyzing form of fear. But fear makes, a, it makes an awful master. It slowly turns you into someone you don't want to become. It keeps you from living a life of passion. It preys on you to rob you of the things that are most important to you. So we come to God this morning. I hope we can come to God and say, God, what you say in Romans 8, 15 through 17, I want to live into. Because this is, it's way too easy to become a, fear to slave, a slave to fear. 
Um, I have a friend, Brad Lominick. He just wrote this incredible book, H3 Leadership. Brad was the, the leader of Catalyst. It's this Christian movement, this conference for thousands of people. Yeah, Brad in his book has one chapter where he talks about fear, and he was raised in Oklahoma. And he grew up so fearful of storms because if you've lived in Oklahoma before, there's some major storms that come through there. And he remembers tornadoes and major thunderstorms and lightning storms. And it just, it, it would scare him to death. It was this phobia in his life that whenever he would see dark clouds approaching as a child, he remembers even in a classroom at school, like getting under his desk or going to a corner and he would just creep into this shell. And for you, it may not be the fear of storms, but I bet for some of you there are other fears that can make you uh, a slave to it. Like um, a spider comes into the room and all of a sudden like your IQ drops, you turn into a, a little kid again, right? I grew up with one of my best friends growing up was afraid of elevators. He wouldn't get on elevators. So if we traveled, our families traveled, and we were staying in a hotel, and we're on the fifth floor, he would walk all the way up, all the way down, never, just didn't want to get on elevators, Brad was deathly afraid of storms until around the age of 11, he decided one day he was going to face his fear. And a storm was coming through, and he decided this time instead of going to a corner or creeping out as he got into a fetal position on a couch and put a blanket over his head, he was going to face his fear. So he walked out on the porch, and he stared this fear in the face. It's a small 11-year-old. And said, I'm not going to let you hold me in bondage anymore. And he looks back on that. It's just a small little thing he did as a child. But something that prepared him to be brave through other storms that would come in life for years to come. What's so important for you is that we know who God is calling us to be and also who God does not want us to be anymore. My mother would meet me at the door whenever I was in high school and we were, I was about to go out with friends or go out on a date or go to parties, whatever it was, my mom would meet me at the front door and she would give me this big hug and she would say, tonight you remember whose you are. You were God's and you were mine. And don't you make any decisions that would bring disgrace upon the name of God or the name of our family. As a teenager, how are you going to go out and do something crazy when your mom speaks that over you, right? It would just stay with me the whole night, you know, even when temptations would hit. Remember whose you are. Years later, I was like, Mom, did you get that from Lion King? You know, you know when Mufasa was like, remember whose you are? She's like, it doesn't matter who I got it from. It worked, all right? Um, you remember whose you are, and in remembering whose you are, you also remember what well, you're not called to be held in bondage by anymore. And here's why, okay? So what Paul says is you're no longer this fear to, don't be a fearful slave. You're a child of God. And it's this word instead, instead of that. And it's more than just being a child of God. Here's how Paul says it. You re when you receive the Spirit, or you did receive the Spirit because God, he adopted you as his own children. So this isn't just about becoming a child. It's how you became a child. Like God chose to adopt you as his very own. Now, for the love of God, the glory of God, and the perfection of God, for God to allow a relationship with him to happen, like I would be perfectly fine if I was known as a slave of God for the rest of my life. In Psalm 84, David even says, let me just be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Because I may not, I don't deserve to be anything else, but just stand at the door, open and close it for other people. Let me clean toilets in the house of God because I don't deserve anything better, but God chose, let me give you something much better than that. I'm going to let you be a child of mine, grafted into the same family, and adopted. 
Now, if you know much about adoption, rarely do adoptees get to choose who the adopter is. It's the adopter who makes a choice to adopt people into their family. There was one girl who was uh, talking about this, and she was adopted. And years later, she uh, said it like this. My sister was born to mom and dad in, in a normal way, but I was chosen to be a member of their family. And that, to me, is very special. That God chose to adopt us <clears throat> as his very own. Now, I believe in free will. I believe in the humans. Because of the love of God, God has given us the freedom to make choices. I believe God wants to adopt every human being on the face of this planet and to his family that the salvation of God is not just extended to a few, but to all that Jesus didn't die just for a few. Jesus died for all. I also believe that though God wants to adopt everyone and to his family, that because we have been given the freedom to make choices, that you can resist the status. You can refuse the status. And as Paul talks about how we are adopted to become God's children, it is about receiving the Spirit. Over a dozen times in the New Testament, when the Spirit is talked about, it is you receive the Spirit. It's this gift that comes into your life. I've told you before, um, in my prayer life, around the, 18, around the age of 18, I began praying more with my hands open because I found that my heart would follow what my posture uh, However, my posture was expressing itself before the Lord. So to open my hands, I would find that my heart would begin opening itself to the Lord because of open hands. And I also began to learn that when it comes to receiving from the Lord or asking something from the Lord, there are way too many times in my life I've come before God with closed fists because there were things in my life I did not want to let go of, yet I wanted God to love me through it. And I believe the love of God came, but I kept feeling, feeling the nudge of God to open your hands because when you open your hands and you open your heart, you're able to receive from the Lord so much better. I believe because of the love of God, you can resist the status. You can also refuse the gift. A gift that is given to everyone, this gift of the Spirit, this transforming gift of the Spirit. And the way we read about it in Romans 8 is that it is God's Spirit that joins with our spirit. It's the Spirit of God that joins with, with your human spirit, like who you are, to remind you over and over and over again who you are in God and who you were not in the world anymore. Uh, there are some practices throughout the world that today, some people throughout the world will honor that when people are giving their lives to the Lord and they're making decisions to trust God as their Savior and to be baptized into Christ, they will get on their knees. And part of the practice is, some of these people will go through in this conversion moment is that before they say yes to Jesus, they will name the things in their life, the sins in their life, the unhealthy relationships in their life. They will name the things that they are saying no to because they want to know what they're not going to be labeled by anymore so that they can go into the arms of God. Sometimes before you can speak yes, you got to speak no. And for those of you who struggle with deep forms of anxiety. You know what it's like. You know this daily struggle of having to surrender before the Lord and daily make decisions that today to say yes to Jesus. I've got to say no to something else. I've got to say no to, I'm not going to let anxiety, I'm not going to let this kind of fear rule my life anymore. We're going forward with Jesus. When it comes to being children of God, there are a couple of things that really matter. One is that to be a child, that there are benefits and there are privileges. And the benefits and privileges, it's identity and security and provision. 
And even in Romans 8, 17, one of the benefits and privileges is that because of what Jesus has accomplished, you will share, we will share in the glory of God one day, in the fullness of God's glory. But to be a child is not just about benefits and privileges, it's also about responsibility. Any good parent knows this. That to be a good, faithful, loyal parent, it is not just about making your child know that there are privileges and benefits and an inheritance. It's that there is responsibility that is given. And in Romans 8, 17, if you want to share in the glory of God, you must also share in the sufferings of Jesus. There's one phrase I could remove from Romans 8. That may be it. Let me share in your glory, but not the suffering. In fact, it's, I don't know how your Bible says it, but it's like you share just as Jesus shared in suffering, you share in suffering just like that. Now, there have been some over the years, over the last 2,000 years, who have taken this to an extreme, and they, like, they want to boast in persecution, and what can I do today to have people like, dishonor me so that I'm suffering like Jesus suffered? And that's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about. There was nothing easy about Jesus choosing to suffer and die on the cross. I don't think it was an easy decision for him to make. But I also know this. That when you read the life and teachings of Jesus, dying to self was something Jesus had practiced day after day after day. And before he died for sins, once and for all, he had died a daily death over and over again for the sake of the people he loved the most. He died daily when he would step into leper colonies, or he died daily when he would step into a place like John 5 to hang around a pool where a bunch of sick people hung out. He died daily when he would engage sinners, and sinners wanted to be around him. They didn't run from him. They ran ran to him. It's this daily death of waking up. Okay, I'm surrendering to God because the Spirit has not been given to me for me to lead the Spirit where I want to go. The Spirit has been given as a gift for the Spirit to lead wherever it is God may may be calling me to go, whatever mess God has asking me to step into whatever form of suffering God is asking his church to step into for the sake of redemption. It's a benefit and it's a privilege to be a child of God. And there are also responsibilities that come with it. Uh, Nika Maples, it's a girl, uh, she grew up in the Dallas area. She lives in Fort Worth. I recorded a podcast with Nika, Nika, couple of weeks ago, and her story is just mind-blowing. You can read some of her stuff. She wrote a book, Hunting Hope, that I highly recommend. At the age of 12, Nika found out she had lupus. At the age of 17, she was going through chemo. She went to college, and uh, in the spring of her freshman year, she had a stroke in her dorm room, and it left her in this paralyzed state for a few days. And hearing her tell the story, it's It's so wild because she's in a hospital bed where she couldn't move. She couldn't even blink her eyes. Yet she could hear conversations happening around her. She remembers the doctors talking with their parents, telling them that there's no way she's going to come out of this. And if she does, she's going to be a vegetable in in that kind of state the rest of her life. And she remembered hearing this whole conversation. So while she is in this state of being, she couldn't move. She's hearing and she's processing and she's praying. And she's having these encounters with God in this moment when doctors would open her eyes and she could see the doctor, but she couldn't let the doctor know that she's feeling the pain as they poked her legs and all this other stuff going on. And now she's able to process this whole event on the other side where now she's this author and she travels to speak and talk about how we re-engage God 
And at the end of our podcast, she said something that just really struck with me. She struck me. She said, Josh, too often in life, we go through life and we are bracing for impact. If you've ever been in a car accident before, sometimes after that, when you're driving, you find yourself bracing even in moments when you don't need a brace. Bracing the wheel, clinging to the wheel, cringing in moments when you're having to make certain turns. And she said, too often in life, we walk around and it's like we're just constantly bracing for impact. So fearful of what's going to hit next. What tragedy is about to happen? Where's that next form of betrayal going to come? And we brace. And sometimes we brace out of, because there's this love that we want to be loved and we want to belong, but we're bracing for impact. And it's not until we soften our grip and soften our hearts to allow the Spirit of God to take more control of who we are that we discover who we are, we discover who we're not. So in Romans 8, there's this posture and there's also emotion. That because of what God has done in you, we are able to say, Abba, Father. Now, it's a lot more than saying, Abba, Father. It's, it's this cry coming out from the people of God. It's this desperate plea. It's emotion. And the word desperation kept coming to me as I was processing this this week and asking God, what do you want me to pray for over this church? As we unpack Romans 8, 15 through 17, and the word desperation was the word that just kept coming to me over and over again. And then I was having asked the Lord, like, how do I pray desperation over, over people? Because some of you are in a place where man, you don't want to be desperate. Like, you're not desperate right now. Some of you are. And the prayer of desperation that kept coming from me was, God, there are people in this church who there is this desperation in them right now to be loved or to belong or to have something better or to be released from what is holding them down. And my prayer and my plea, my cry before the Lord was, God, I, I'm asking you to harness the desperation people are feeling in their life because if you don't harness it and hold it, then desperation can call us to reach for things we're not supposed to reach for to reach for the bottle, to reach for the over-the-counter medicine, or to even reach for another Netflix binge to keep us from finding ourselves and our strength and our worth and who God is. So may God take hold of that desperation, whatever we're feeling, and harness it and hold it to where our hearts know that our desperation is something that can only be fulfilled through God, through His heart and His character. Uh, so uh, I want to ask the elders... And the prayer leaders, wherever you are, will you go to your places to receive people this morning? Because there may be a desperate plea from you today, a cry of your heart. There may be something you want to bring in front of this entire church, and we have elders up front to receive you. And throughout the room, you'll see other prayer leaders who were there, and those are places where you don't go to them to bring something before the church. You're just, it's just a safe place for you to go and find rest and find strength and receive a blessing from the Lord. And before we sing this next song, I want to ask you again, can we stand together and I want to ask you to bow your heads as we stand. <clears throat> and close your eyes and if you will, will you just open your hands before the Lord where you are this morning? And God, my prayer today is that God, if I've spoken any word that is true, if truth has come from this stage in any way, May it sink deep into hearts, establish, great, uh, establish roots, and bear great fruit. And God, if I've said anything that hasn't honored who you are, let it fall to the ground and be remembered no more.
Spirit of God, have your way with us today to remind us who we are and to call us to be brave and courageous in a world that gives us so many reasons to be fearful. May the same power that is able to lift Jesus out of a grave not just bring us to life, but use us this week to bring others to life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.